He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and especially this text. Uh, Lord, a fantastic and hard-to-understand text. We pray, Father, that you would, um, by your Spirit, help us to understand the mysteries contained here, that we might be grown in your grace. We ask these sayings in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Do you remember when you were a child how important it was to be in first place? I still remember when I was in kindergarten a race that I had with Chad Cadell. Chad was the fastest guy in the whole class. And you know what? I beat him. Chad never admitted it. Now, he was wrong. I was first with witnesses. Or how about to get to the car before your brother or sister did, maybe so that you could sit in the best spot, you could ride a shotgun. Or, or to be first in the line at school, or the first person to get dessert. It's better to be last so you can get the rest. This early childhood behavior, right, we didn't leave it behind us. See, this early childhood behavior, it, it shows the sinful nature about ourselves that we like to prioritize ourselves over others, even the Lord. See, we do it now, we just are more sophisticated about it. We're better at hiding it, right? Our sin becomes more complex as we get older. We do it in our home lives when we put our own desires and plans and ambitions and feelings over that of others. We do it in our workplaces when we are tempted to make other employees look bad or maybe just not look good so that our boss will think more highly of us. We do it in our playtime on the ball field. It's, it's important to defeat your, your foes. That's right. But, but then we like to go a little further than that, don't we? Or we might do it at the hunting camp when we let everybody know that how the buck that we let walk really was bigger and larger than the 12-point they shot. We do it in church life. Can we say that, that churches? I mean, churches do this, right? That, that we would have the best programs and the most numbers. Not necessarily for the glory of God, though. That's a good thing, too. But so that we can have bragging rights. Get together with a bunch of pastors, and you'll find that we're a bunch of sinners. Who is first place in our lives? Who gets the most attention, recognition, and praise? Who sets the priority, the focus, and the driving ambition of our lives? Most of the time, we do. Most of the time, we do. We see it play out in our possessions, how we spend our time, and even the things that anger us, right? Because the things that anger us are usually the things that we um, find most precious in our lives. So the person we value in this life will set the priorities, tone, and tenor of our lives. Uh, and either we'll be selfish which is our normal setting, where by God's grace we put Jesus' life. And that, that has an impact and flavors our lives, not just for us, but also for all those around us. The aroma of Christ, sacrifice of praise to the Lord and seen by others. I'm here to tell you that a life spent putting yourself first will not satisfy you. 
I remember when we bought uh, Christie's van. Now, uh, it was not new. It was new to us. The newest, nicest car we've ever purchased. And y'all, it was awesome. Right. I mean, like, it, it would even tell you how many miles to the gallon you got. We didn't have anything before that that would do that. You know, it would even, like, talk to you over the radio system. This was all new stuff to us. Now it has 120,000 miles on it. Praise God, it's got a lot of miles, and it's keeping on going. <laughs> May it continue for many years. But you know, it's not nearly as shiny as the day we got it. And the new ones look real nice. They just redid the Tacoma. Did you know that? Right? So just like a shiny car that loses its luster and can't satisfy you, only Jesus, only Jesus, when we put him first in our lives, will we find satisfaction. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He is sufficient. The technical word we have here from Paul is preeminent. A tough word, right? Preeminent. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. This morning, I want to remind you of some of the reasons from this text why Jesus really is enough and worthy of being first place in our lives. Paul, in his letter to this small church, remember Colossae is a small church? It's a small town church, just like ours. He writes this letter to the believers in Colossae and to Bruton. And he puts before us in verses 15 through 20 some of the most exalted language of Jesus in the entire New Testament. Indeed, many commentators think that these verses contain an early church hymn that was sung by the early church members as they came to worship God. Now, we don't know that, if that's true or not. But this kind of exalted language certainly would fit a hymn of praise to our God. The central point of these verses is that Jesus is, is, whether we consider him or, uh, to be so or not, he is first, first place, the most important, the most significant, the most supreme, the most sovereign over creation and redemption. Creation and what we might call the new creation, the church. So we're going to consider these two things, one after the other. The first, 15 through 17, Jesus is first in creation. Why is that true? It's because Jesus is God. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now we learn from John 4, at the lips of Jesus, that God is spirit, which means He does not have a body. He is described here and other places in Scripture as invisible. Now, sometimes when you look for a child, we might say they are invisible because you cannot find them because they are hiding. That's not the kind of invisible here. It's not that God is hiding himself. In fact, his divine attributes, his invisible attributes, have been made clearly seen in the heavens above us. Rather, it's that Jesus is without body and therefore cannot be seen with human eyes. But... In Christ, God has revealed Himself in a way that we can behold Him. The one who cannot be seen is now seeable. We learn this from several places in the Bible. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. The only God, now it's talking about Jesus, this is awesome. No one ever seen God, comma, the only God, who is Jesus here, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. John 14, 9, whoever has seen me, Jesus, has seen the Father. Hebrews 1, 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint 
of his nature. Jesus is God. Now, depending on the day, my alarm clock goes off at different times. Maybe if you're retired, that's not the case. But uh, particularly onerous and heinous are the five o'clock alarm clocks in my house, Thursdays and Sundays. Now, when it hits at five o'clock in the morning, I can argue with myself that it's not actually five o'clock. I can even pretend like it's not five o'clock or even pretend like I don't need to get up. But the reality is some atomic clock somewhere in some scientist's lab actually says it is 5 o'clock. The same is true with the first-placeness of Jesus. Whether we esteem him to be or not, Jesus is first. And there's nothing that can change that. This is followed up by the strange phrase, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Do you think this means that Jesus is the first created being? There's a great heresy called Arianism, and it's followed up by the, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. They believe that, that Jesus is the first creation. He's great, he's awesome, but he's the first creation. That's not what it says here. Jesus has never, was not created. There's never been a time in which he was not. He has always existed, eternally past, eternally future, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal in eternity and always existing. We use the word firstborn to speak of the first person born in our family. That's not how it's used here. In the Old Testament, it is used in several places, especially in the Psalms, to speak of the one who has the highest rank, the most important person. In fact, we learn in the Old Testament that God made Israel his firstborn, why? Because they were so important to him. Jesus is first over all creation in rank. The NIV and the Christian Standard Bible is helpful here. It says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. This means that Jesus is the most important person in the entire cosmos, the entire universe, not because he was created, but rather because he created it which we'll talk about in a minute. That means that when we put anything that is created above Him, anything made like our possessions or the things we want, there are going to be problems. In our house, our um, microwave and our stove are on the same circuit. And they work fine because we moved the, uh, the, the, the toaster oven. If the toaster oven, the stove, and the microwave are running at the same time, they all quit working. Why? Because the circuit breaker flips. It's too much. When we put too much on the things that we own, or our experiences, or even our spouses and our children, if we put too much significance on those things, our lives will fall apart. The circuit breaker will blow because they cannot stand it. They weren't built for that. There's one person, and his name is Jesus. And he is the one who is meant to be the first in our lives. No one else can handle that burden. No one else. Jesus is first in creation because he is God, because he is called here the firstborn of creation. But here especially, it's because he made everything. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities... All things were created through him and for him. 
This sounds a lot like John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Why is Jesus first place in creation? Because he made it all. He made it all. You know, you can learn a lot about the person from what they made. I, I like to do woodwork. I'm not very good at it, but I I'm getting better. And you can tell a lot about my skill by looking at the things I make. Uh, thanks for buying all those things to help get us on our mission trip. Uh, don't look at them too closely, right? The, the, most, the, the, most, the fanciest thing I've ever built was a bar table for our kitchen. And it, it turned out, surprisingly, fairly decently. Except there's a buckle in the tabletop where I join the two pieces of cypress together. I, I could, enough sanding, I couldn't get it to be flat. It, it looks gorgeous, except... The legs aren't exactly square. Uh, and, and you know, the, it's, it's white, and I painted it, and it was painstakingly, but you can see some brush strokes. If you look at it real closely, you can, you can determine some things about its maker. Let's talk about what Jesus made. Let's talk about what Jesus made. Did you know that you could take all of the continents on the earth and put them in the Pacific Ocean? That's how big the Pacific Ocean is. You could take all the continents, all their landmass, and stick them together, and they would fit in the Pacific Ocean, and the rest of the world would be ocean. This is why only, excuse me, less than 10% of the ocean floor has ever been mapped by man. We don't know what over 90% of the ocean floor even looks like. What could be down there? Or if we, if we think a little bit bigger, and you go out in the woods on a perfectly clear night, and all the stars you can see. Did you actually know some of those stars are galaxies? And at least three of them, the, those dots you see are planets, Mars, Venus, and Saturn, which you can see with the naked eye. But you can only see about 5,000 stars. It seems like a lot. It seems like more than that. But it's only about 5,000. But when you consider that depending on who you talk to, it's either 10 to the 23rd power or 24th power, just kind of a rounding error. So, so a, a hundred thousand, let's see, a hundred sextillion or septillion stars. That's more than the grains of sand on the earth. I tried to calculate the percentage of what we could see compared to what you, we can't see with our naked eye, and there's a, a rounding error, it goes down to zero. We, we can't see hardly any of it. And yet Isaiah 40 tells us that God knows every one of them by name because Jesus made them. And yet we, we put so much in this world on other things rather than Jesus. Who is first in our lives? Is it the one who made oh, all of this? Or is it something that I've created? My own priorities. Is Jesus worthy of being first place in our lives? I think he is. And yet, if you look at my heart, if you look at that daily struggle, the daily grind of family and work and play and schedules and challenges and good things, I wonder what percentage of the time I really put Jesus first. But here's the thing, beyond the physical world, which we can see, this text tells us that there's a whole invisible world that cannot be seen that Jesus also made. The special spiritual world, the spiritual world is very true. As Americans, we don't consider it to be true, but you go anywhere else in the world and they're very aware that the spiritual world exists. He mentions four orders of angels here. 
thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. We're not given really any information in Scripture about what these orders of angels do, what are more important. That's not the point here. The important thing is that everything seen and unseen was created by Christ Jesus. And when we consider the vastness and intricacies of what He has made, it makes us remember that Jesus really is worthy of being first place in our lives. For the same one who made all things keeps all things going. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It reminds us of Hebrews 1.3. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. If I were to take this hymnal and drop it, what do you think is going to happen to this hymnal? It's going to go up or down, right? Well, it went down. What about this time? One more time? Why does it go down? It's actually a great question. Why does it go down? Every time I've dropped something in the past, it has gone down at 9.8 meters per second squared of acceleration. Every time. But why did it go down that time? We call them laws of nature. Uh, and they're called laws because our Savior built a system of this world that is reasonable and understandable, and it stays together. And it continues to work. And we have seen and observed things. We said, oh yeah, it really does accelerate at 9.8 meters per second squared. But that's because Jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power. He's like the glue, as one commentator put it, that holds everything together and keeps on going. That's why I know when I walk out the back door, I'm not going to float away. Right? That, that's why I know that, that, that tomorrow is going to be like today unless Jesus doesn't tarry and comes again. So he made all things, he sustains all things. And we also learn in verse 16 that everything was created for Jesus. It was made for his glory and for the praise of his name. It belongs to him and everything answers to him. And everything, by the way, includes us. What this means is that the world and everything within it, physically, emotionally, spiritually, morally, everything, was made for Jesus, and here's the kicker, not for us. Including our schedules, including our lives, including our homes, including our emotions, including our relationships. Everything exists for God's glory. And He must be first in all things. Because he is first in all things. Well, in verses 15 through 17, we, we see that Jesus is first in creation. Next, we see he is in first place in the new creation, the church. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. What does it mean that Jesus is the head of the church? He, he is the head of this church but he is also especially the head of the universal church. The Christian church is how we put it in the Apostles' Creed, or the lowercase c, Catholic, meaning universal church. It means that we owe our existence as believers in the church, our continued salvation, and our obedience to Jesus. We exist only because the very one who created all things and sustains all things entered into the world that was in rebellion against him, he put our needs first, that we might put Him first. He came that He might be preeminent, 
which is a fancy word for being supreme or, or first place in everything. Now, it's not because he isn't first place in everything. He already is. Rather, he manifested this amongst us, demonstrating his first place-ness, his supremacy. And how did he do it? By laying down his life for us. Can you imagine the God of the universe who made all things and for whom all things exist, if he's going to display his first nest, his first placeness, his supremacy, his lordship, how's he going to do it? By serving, by laying down his life. How do we do that? We brag, right? Look at my trophy. Look at my, my hall, my, my wall of fame, rather, right? of all the famous people I've had pictures with and all my wars, that kind of stuff, and it just happens to be right across from the door when you walk in. How did that happen? We like to brag. And what did Jesus do? He didn't brag. He laid down his life. He took up the towel and washed the feet of his rebellious, bickering disciples. And he took on your sin and mine, that he might be the head of the church, that he might lead us in a triumphal procession of salvation for all of eternity. He is our ruler and leader because he is our Lord. He leads us as his church. He guides us, he protects us, he provides for us. Which means he's ruler of this church and of our lives. He's called here the firstborn from the dead. And that's because he was first in, in resurrection. Right? He was the first to be raised from the dead so that you and I might be raised from the dead. That the power of the grave could not contain either the Lord of all things or those who are united to Him. Jesus is worthy of being first place in our lives because He has redeemed us and saved us when we wanted nothing to do with Him. It wasn't like we had put Jesus in second place or third place or twelfth place. It's because we had put Him in first place on our hated list. And yet Jesus underwent terrible, terrible pains. As the wrath of God was poured out on Him that He might redeem those who are His people. Verse 19, we're reminded again that Jesus is God. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What does this mean? It's, a, it's another way of saying that Jesus is God. And that when you saw Jesus, you saw God. That when Mary lay exhausted having given birth to her firstborn and she held the baby Jesus, she was holding the God-man Jesus. That when he was 12 and they could not find him, where was he? In his father's house. And it really was his father's house. And when the crowds went to hear Jesus preach on the mountainside, they heard not just one pointing to God, but one who is the lawgiver himself as God telling them the good news. And it meant that as the disciples bickered around the, that table the night in which Jesus was betrayed, they bickered in the presence of the one who is preeminent and supreme over all things. They failed to put Jesus first, modeling our behavior. When we fail to serve each other and fail to serve our king, when we substitute things, people, and ourselves in place of the Lord, he is worthy of being first place in our lives also because of what we find in verse 20. 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Because the reality is that the one, the very one who created the universe, who holds it all together, for whom all creation exists, is the one whose back bled under the scourge of the cat of nine tails. This is the one whose face was covered with the blood running down from his brow, from his crown, and whose hands and feet tore as the nails were hammered through. This he did for you. Do you think he is worthy of being first in your life? He is because He put your salvation before His own suffering that by His death and resurrection you might have eternal life. And with this blood of the cross we learn He has made peace. He has reconciled to Himself all things. What what does all things mean here? That's actually a great theological question. He's reconciled all things to Himself? Or God has reconciled all things to Himself through Christ is what the text says? What does that mean? Well, two... It cannot mean that everybody has eternal life. That's real clear. Uh, It does not mean that everybody is saved, no matter their religion or belief. We learn that from John 3, uh, 18. For whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Rather, it's talking about the scope. That the reconciling work of Jesus had more to do than just our individual salvation. We're not the only ones who have rebelled. Adam and Eve, when they rebelled, they threw the whole creation in rebellion, and everything's broken. You don't have to spend more than five minutes in this world to know that this world is broken. The systems are broken. There are hurt people. People mourn and are sad. There are victims. Why? Because this world is messed up. And Jesus came to fix that. He did it at the cross, and it will be brought to its fullness when He comes again. But secondly, it means that one day everybody, everybody, bar none, Christian or not, will admit and confess that Jesus really is Lord. People can pretend all of their lives that Jesus is not first, and He's not the Creator, and He's not the Sustainer, and He's not the Reconciler, and that He's not the Judge. But one day, they will. Now, for the believer, it'll be a great day of rejoicing when Christ comes back, won't it? Oh, I yearn for that day. No more funerals. Oh, Jesus, come quickly. But for those who don't know the Lord, who have not repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ, it'll be like the day of the surrender of the Nazis in World War II. Peace came May 8, 1945. But it was because there was a great surrender of our enemies. They had been defeated. And then there was a tribunal for those who had committed war crimes, as one commentator put it. That's the the picture of the day of judgment for those who don't know the Lord. And so until Christ comes again, or until our death, there is time now to submit yourself to the one who is first. Believers, remember that Christ is first and seek to put Him first again in your life. And when He's 12th and 20th and 100th again, repent, confess your sins, and put Him first again. That's how we do it. But for those who don't know the Lord, do not tarry, do not run. For the day, today is the day of salvation. So is Jesus worthy of being first in your life? I think He is. Let's pray. Lord Christ, we thank you that you are first, even when we struggle to put you first. 
We thank you that this world is not, whole, is not held up by our faithfulness or our whim or even laws. But, Father, it is held by your Son, by the word of his power. We pray these sayings in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to conclude. Uh, we've never sung this before. It's a paraphrase of Psalm 102. It's in your bulletin. Uh, we're going to sing three verses of it. We, we've never sung it before, but you will immediately know the tune. Uh, so let's stand and sing, Thou, O Lord, art God alone.